0: All right, we're going to keep on going in Jeremiah today, and we're looking at Jeremiah chapter 18. The, uh, the, the section for the week for our growth groups is Jeremiah 16 through 20. Uh, but, but we're going to hone in especially on Jeremiah 18 today. So if you have a Bible or if you can reach one, if there's one within your, your grasp, then, then extend yourself, reach for it. If your neighbor has one and they're not using it, go ahead and take it and use it Uh, or open it up and put it back on their lap or something like that. Let's let's be looking at the word as we engage with it for these moments this morning. Um, We come to a story in chapter 18 today that if you're not really familiar with anything in the book of Jeremiah, if you'd never even read it before, hadn't even heard of it before, the chances are that it's possible that you may have actually heard of this story, or you may, have at least, you may at least be somewhat familiar with some of the imagery that is captured here in, in this story. Um, it's a story that's taken right out of the world of, of arts and crafts, and so I've kind of titled this sermon today, Arts and Crafts. Um, and, and I have to say that I kind of personally, I ha- there's a lot of artsy people here in this room, and bless you. I'm not really one of you. Uh, in some ways, I guess I am, but I have kind of a, a, a love hate relationship with arts and crafts. When, when I would be at school, you know, or at camp or something, they would say arts and crafts. I, w- I would just kind of love it and hate it at the same time because, on the one hand, I love to look at good arts and crafts. My kids bring home projects that they're working on. And I'm just enamored with this stuff. I, we have it hung up. I've got stacks of these things that they brought home to me. And I'm going to keep them forever. And, you know, I'll go to Emo Denari over there at the, at the mission on Memorial Day and just look at those folks with their chalk art. You know what I'm talking about, that chalk art festival? And see the things that they're doing and the work, that the, the creation that they're making. And I will just love it. But then, anytime, as many of you have, Witnessed. I try to do anything like that. I try to make something or draw something or paint something. It looks worse than my kids' original products when they were in kindergarten. And so I, I love to look at other people's good art. I kind of hate to look at my attempts at art. So it's kind of this tension with arts and crafts. I love to love the idea, don't really like how it comes out in my own life. But there is no doubt that art and and the craft work of people has the ability to speak to us at, at a different level than just merely the spoken word, right? I mean, to have somebody engaging in an artistic practice, whether that's painting or drawing or sculpting of some, in, in some way, I mean, that, that has the ability to kind of speak to us at, at different levels of our being. And I kind of think that perhaps God had that in mind as he brought Jeremiah to this experience, and, and the word from that story comes to us today. Um, and again, we'll look at this story, and you'll hear very quickly and powerfully how through this artistic expression, the themes that we've been looking at in Jeremiah are so powerfully communicated, hopefully even at a deeper and fresher level to us again today. So I want to read the first about 10 verses of chapter 18. I'd love to have you stand with me as I do. Chapter 18 of Jeremiah, and I'm going to begin at verse 1 and just read through verse 10. We'll look at some following verses in just a little bit, but we'll just read through verse 10 for now. And I'll read it, and then at the end I'll say, this is the word of the Lord, and you can say, thanks be to God. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, Go down to the potter's house, and there I will give you my message. So I went down to the potter's house, and I saw him working at the wheel. But the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands. So the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as seemed best to him. Then the word of the Lord came to me, O house of Israel, Can I not do with you as this potter does, declares the Lord. Like clay in the hand of the potter, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. If at any time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be uprooted, torn down and destroyed, and if that nation, I warn, repents of its evil, then I will relent and not inflict on it the disaster I had planned. And if at another time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be built up and planted, and if it does evil in my sight and does not obey me, then I will reconsider the good I had intended to do for it. It's the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. You can have a seat. Well, pottery was a common activity, uh, an essential trade in the Near East, and so it was thought that That Jeremiah would have just readily accepted this invitation, this call from the Lord to go down to the potter's house, and he would have appreciated the lessons that he would have learned there. There's no word here that Jeremiah was himself a potter. Maybe he was like me. He appreciated fine art, but wasn't much of an artist himself. But he was there and and would have appreciated that opportunity to go and learn these lessons. And what he finds, as we read here in these words, is a potter working at the wheel, um, much like... uh, Scholars say that the images of, of potters working at a wheel even today, that you can just imagine the scene as, as you've seen it, the hands on the pot as it spins around, working the, the wheel and the shaping the pot as it's going around. And uh, there would have been this, this potter working the clay in a certain direction towards a certain shape, towards a certain form, towards a certain end or destination in mind here until at one point as Jeremiah watched him he became aware of the fact that the that the clay that he was forming, this this clay that he was making into a pot was was marred in his hands. Now the text is kind of silent. It doesn't tell us what was marred about it. It could have had some foreign substance in it or it could have been too much clay or too little clay for the pot that he was trying to form or it could have been too wet or too dry. There's, there's no real sense of what exactly was the problem here. We can't really know for sure. But what we do know for sure is that it became apparent to this, this potter, this, this artist, that the clay that he had on the wheel was not suitable for the pot that he was planning on making it was not suitable for the pot that he had designed one commentator said it like this he said since the quality of the clay determined ultimately what could be done with it the potter then in that moment had to change his plans for this clay and he formed it into a new pot. And I love that last part, what they say about what Jeremiah says. He formed it into a different pot as seemed best to him. I, I love that idea that the potter, even when the, he recognized the clay was not going to be what he needed to form the pot that he had in mind, was able to reshape it in such a way and make a new pot in such a way that seemed best to him. Now, this might tweak a little bit with some of our understandings of this story in the past. Most of the time, when we think about this story, or when we think about the image of the potter and and the clay, we have it in mind that it is an illustration of the fact that, that the Lord will kind of work patiently with his people, right? And that he'll shape us, and reshape us, and keep forming us, and and shaping us, whether it be as individuals as, or as communities, until he gets the pot that he actually wants us to, to finally be. But what the scene seems to be actually saying to us, and this, again, maybe may force us to change our perspective a little bit, is that it is not just the perseverance or the, the skill or the patience or the willingness of the potter to work with the clay that is important here, but it is actually the the quality of the clay as well. The the mixture of the clay, the the content of the clay. In other words, the choices and the character of the individual or of the communities that God is working with that will ultimately... uh, Make it possible for God to shape them and use them in the way that seems best to him. So I hope that makes sense. It's not just the potter that we're talking about here, but it's the quality of the clay as well. We've been talking with some people uh, with our, our church board. We've been talking, some of our leaders have been talking about um, uh, doing some work to our building. We need maybe some work on our roof. We need some work out here in our, our driveway, potentially some different things that we kind of need to do and just talking with different people and different folks in our own church and different workers and and they're all pretty quick to say well if you get this material it'll cost you this much but it'll allow you to do this it will it will fix that problem for sure it'll last this long for sure you'll you'll get this out of that particular uh type of material and that's that's important I, you know guy just tell me this week as he came by to look at our our uh, driveway out here, he said, well, you know, you got to be careful because there's two types of stuff that you can put on here. And some people put this, and some people put that. And if you get, do this, you'll get this. If you do this, you'll do that. You'll get this. And, and what God seems to be saying here, what Jeremiah is noticing, is that it, the, the type of clay, the, the type of person, the quality and character of the person or the community that is put before the Lord is, is largely what determines how God will shape and what kind of pot, what kind of vessel God will create out of that person. So um, God gives two illustrations, and he, we read them right there. God says that from time to time there will be peoples and or nations that merit divine judgment, and he's kind of playing this out for us. Um, and these God threatens to uproot, to break and destroy. Some of those words that he talked about with Jeremiah in the, in the opening verses of this, this whole book. Um, but then God says if that nation changes its heart, if it repents and turns from evil, then God will change his attitude towards them. So again, it's the quality of the clay. It's the quality of the clay. God will change his attitude, a, a different type of treatment because of their changed behavior. And then he follows that up, though, and he says if he had intentions on building and planting, if he had intentions for growing and supporting and blessing a nation or a people, but if that nation is determined to do evil, if that nation is determined to disobey, to go in a different direction than the one that he would have them to go in, then that will also result in a changed treatment of them by God. God will also, he will, he will change his, his plans for them and make them into a new pot. Um, verses 11 and 12 uh, lead us to the next part of this section, and I want to just read them here for us. Um, the, the next verses sadly demonstrate to us that, that though God, um, God's people in Judah were informed of this, that though they knew that God was, was willing, that if they would change their behavior, if they would change the substance of themselves in a sense, of their clay, that He would make them into a new pot, even though they knew this, it, 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 this passage shows us that they were unwilling or unable even to change at that point. That they were committed to a life of sin and rebellion and because of that they had found themselves backed into a corner where that's really the only way that they knew how to live. Let me read it for you. In fact, why don't you read it along with me from the screen here. Just verses 11 and 12. Just read it out loud, would you? Now therefore say to the people of Judah and those living in Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says. Look, I am preparing a disaster for you and devising a plan against you. So turn from your evil ways, each one of you, and reform your ways and your actions. But they will reply, it's no use. We will continue with our own plans. Each of us will follow the stubbornness of his evil heart. not an uplifting passage. A tragic passage in so many ways. For what we find here in reading this passage is the reality that God was dealing with a, a, a type of clay here, if you will, to follow out the metaphor that was resistant. That was recalcitrant, if you want to get even a bigger word, that was was unmanageable and that was unwilling to participate in his desire to shape them into the kind of people and into the kind of vessel that he wanted them to be. And it was in their resistance to that shaping process and to his plans and purposes for their lives that now they had finally come to a place where they had Rejected God, and even rejected the possibility of even ever following after God. This is tragic. So you can see how their their resistance at first, their their unwillingness to follow His ways for them, and to turn and to repent and to move in the ways that He would have them. Now it had it had so built up that they had since had become hardened clay, now completely unable or unwilling to turn. Their resistance had led to this place of complete rejection. These uh, again, the verses tell us God was actually shaping evil. That's what we read ten and eleven. He was shaping this this punishment for His people, and He was making plans for their destruction because of the way that they had lived in contrary to the, to the covenant. They were they were they were worthy of the covenantal curses that were that were shared in earlier passages of Scripture, only a radical change at this point could avert that judgment. But they had gone too far in their stubbornness, and they could only reply with those words that that maybe none of us have ever said. But I would guess that some, if not most, if not all of us, have at least felt a time or two when they simply said, it's no use, it's no use. This is just kind of who I am. This is just kind of how I've been and the direction I've gone all my life. It's just the decisions that we've been making, the choices, the, kind of, the character that has formed in me. And so even though I know that to keep going this way just promises destruction for me, and even if I know that if I turn another way I could experience the new life and blessings of covenant relationship with you, it's no use. It's just kind of who I am. This is, uh, this is so sad, so tragic. God's intentions, I hope you're picking up on this, God's intentions are not to just kind of randomly uh, punish his people. He, God's intentions are not just to kind of put them down and put them in their place. God's intentions are to restore them to relationship and to restore us to relationship. He's always working Every move he makes is always such that it would pull us back into relationship with him. And here again, even this threat, this warning of devastation is meant as a loving extension to invite them back into relationship with him. And and sadly and tragically, the response of the people to this compassionate God are simply a look in his direction and the words simply, no thanks. They were... They were so addicted to sinning. <laughs> We've read it. They were, weir- they were growing weary in their sinning. They were so addicted to this way of life that they'd given up any hope of moving in a do- new direction. They were so used to losing. Put in athletic terms for me and maybe some of you. They were so used to losing that they couldn't even fathom the idea of potentially winning. It's it's. World Series time. So uh, the playoffs are in action. So I began to think just who are the losingest teams of all time? And uh, there, there are several. You, you probably uh, name a few. But, but the one that stands out, the team that stands out when you begin to talk about losing teams, really, especially in baseball, are the Chicago Cubs. Right? Does anybody follow the Chicago Cubs at all? Any really Fans here, if you're a Chicago Cubs fan, you, yeah, okay, you guys deserve just all the props in the world. Um, Because the Chicago Cubs have not been to the World Series, or not won the World Series since 1908. That's a long time for uh, any team to go without, you know, winning a national championship. They have not been since 1908, and they haven't even been in the World Series Since 1945. And around that time, there was a guy who brought a, uh, this is a weird story, but a guy who brought his goat with him to Wrigley Field. Some of you maybe know this story. He brought his goat with him and Mr. Wrigley, the owner of the Cubs and the owner of the field at that time, he kicked the guy out. He said, you can't have your goat in here. And as he was leaving, the guy said, the Cubs will never win. And it's been known as the, the curse on the Cubs ever since that time. And Cubs fans really believe in this stuff. And, and so much to the fact that a few years ago, I think it was 2000, oh, some of you remember Bartman, right? We don't need to talk about him. But, but they, were, they were just outs away from clinching a series to send them to the World Series. And one of their players was making a catch in the eighth inning to end the inning. And a fan reached out and knocked the ball away. And he dropped the ball. He didn't catch the ball. And the team that they were playing came back to score like eight runs in the next two innings to win the game. They lost the next game. They still didn't go to the series. And the curse lived on. (laughs) And and if you're a Cubs fan, the point of all this, if you're a Cubs fan, they're they're known as the lovable losers. And that's, that's the nickname for the Cubs, the Chicago Cubs, the lovable losers. They're known for losing. That's just kind of their deal. When somebody, if you're a baseball fan, somebody mentions the Chicago Cubs, ah, the losers. They lose. That's what they do. And so much so that the fans of the Chicago Cubs, probably you guys, if I'm not mistaken, have just kind of come to expect we're going to lose. It's just what we do. We'll play 162 games, we'll lose most of them. <laughs> we, we won't go to the playoffs, we won't go to the World Series. But we'll keep on doing what we do year in and year out because we're in Chicago and it's a big market and people come to our games anyway and give us a lot of money. That's basically what it is. But they've just become used to losing. And I read this passage. That's what struck me with these people. And it struck me so much about who we are. We've just become used to sinning. We've just become used to losing. We've just become used to making that mistake. When that temptation comes, we've been, just become used to giving in to it. We've just become used to, to, to going the way that we know God doesn't want to, us to, and yet we just kind of accept it because, well, we're losers. We're sinners. That's just what we do. And it's as opposed to this optimism of the grace of God that we... That, that God invites them to experience this, this opportunity to change and be transformed and move in a new direction. We've, we've, we've given in, we've relented to the pessimism of our own souls. And it's trapped us in this resistance now that, if we're not careful, will lead us as well to a place of rejecting God. And this is the greatest. I mean, I've got a lot of fears. I, I'm not living in fear. I'm living in faith. But a uh, fear as a pastor and for you and for me and my family and the people I know and love, that, that we would ever, by our resistance, by our, by our saying no to God, by no thanks, I'm used to losing. This is just kind of how I do it. And I'm sorry about that, but I'm going to keep on doing it. That by that continual resistance to God, that there comes a moment, potentially, as we see in Jeremiah, there comes a moment where God simply says, that's it. And and God doesn't even potentially say it, but but we say it. Consciously or unconsciously, we say it, but by our resistance, some of we just come to the place where we don't even know how to win anymore. We don't even, we don't even know how to make a good choice anymore because we're so used to doing it one way. And it's something for us to be alerted to folks and to think about and I think this passage of scripture is so timely for us because we can so subtly be sucked into this resisting God in our culture. We can be making choices that just don't seem to make that big of a difference but as they add up as they stack on top of each other we're building up a resistance that we cannot recover from. And that's what God goes on to talk about in the next few verses. Let me read these 13 through 17. It'll be on the screen for you. Jeremiah lapses into poetry. He can't help himself. He, he's a reporter, but he's also a poet. And here he goes, 13 to 17, as he speaks about the consequences now of a group of people who've resisted God so much that they have come to a place of rejecting God. And he says, therefore, this is what the Lord says, that whenever you see therefore, you got to figure out what it's there for. And it's it's because of what they have done. Now, this is the result. This is the consequence. Inquire among the nations who has ever heard anything like this? A most horrible thing has been done by virgin Israel. Does the snow of Lebanon ever vanish from its rocky slopes? Do its cool waters from distant sources ever cease to flow? And the answer to those rhetorical questions are a resounding no. Snow never vanishes. The waters never cease to flow. Yet my people have forgotten me. They burn incense to worthless idols, which made them stumble in their ways and in the ancient paths. They made them walk in bypaths and on roads not built up. Their land will be laid waste, an object of lasting scorn. All who pass by will be appalled and will shake their heads. Like a wind from the east, I will scatter them before their enemies. I will show them my back and not my face in the day of their disaster. I, I don't really know what to do with that last part. I'm just going to jump to that really quick. It's hard. That's a hard word. But I'll just say that what I, what I'll take a stab at it and just, to, just in, its, in its poetic form, again, Jeremiah is telling us the seriousness of this matter. The significance of rejecting God and forgetting God. And I think that's, that's the last slide that I put up here. Just forgetting God. He's talking about a people who have forgotten God. They've, they've burnt, they're burning incense to idols. They're 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 stumbling on the paths. They're taking the shortcuts. They're no longer working in the in the way that God would have them to live. And there's there's natural circumstances. Verse fifteen spells out the rebellion. Again, verse sixteen begins to show some of the uh, the the reaction, the response of God. Is that there, Peter? That forgetting God? Yeah. Um, go past, go down to that next slide. I'm sorry. Would keep going. Not, not the scripture, the one that says forgetting God. that there? That's okay. Um, begins to talk in verse 16 then about the consequences that they will face. And we've been talking, we've been dancing around this a little bit over the last few weeks. And I just just to kind of let you know, what he's talking about here is that the people will be sent into exile. We've been talking a little bit about the exile of of, of God's people and what they would experience here. And he begins to talk very clearly about it there in verse 16. Sorry, I just can't ignore it. It's just There it is. It's done. Okay. Um, their land will be laid waste, an object of lasting scorn. All who pass by it will be appalled and will shake their heads. And in this, he says, like a wind from the east, I will scatter them before their enemies. And poetically, what he's talking about there is that the, that the armies of Babylon will come in from the east and they will scatter this people, this people who has been rebellious to him. He will, he will use the, 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 the historical activity, he will use this, the Babylonian forces that will come in and scatter the people of Judah and take them into exile in Babylon. This... this Historical, military, political event will be cast and seen and understood through the lens of Scripture, through the lens of God, as a, a, a moment of judgment. As, a, as a, a consequence of the people's behavior. And then he finishes it by saying, I will show them my back and not my face. Um our our sin again the, as i prepared this and i read this scripture you know the the part about the potter and the clay that's kind of fun and interesting but it really isn't that happy <laughs> it's it's really just kind of powerful and and the reality is that today there's this this amazing way of kind of thinking about this that just as the sin of the people of god cast them into exile which was marked really by displacement, right? I mean, you're moving out of your homeland into another. You're, you're being displaced from everything you know. It's marked by isolation. You're, you're no longer in the place where you feel most comfortable. It's marked by separation. Obviously, as we read in that last verse, it's marked by a, a, a separation even from God. Well, our sin, as many of us have experienced, if not all of us, has the, has the ability to do the very same thing to us. And I would just, not hesitate to say that there are many of us even here today while we're sitting in this place and while we will go home to our homes or our apartments we are actually in a period of exile even right now in our lives because of some of the choices that we've made some of the decisions some of the characters some of the demonstration of who we've been some of the ways that we've disobeyed God we've been we've been sent into whether now or Times previous or potentially in times to come, sent into a season of of isolation, of separation, of aloneness. And that is a, for those of you who know that place, a hard and a terrible place to be. And I think I I don't want to move too quickly this morning away from that, the power of that last phrase, I will show them my back and not my face in the time of their disaster. Because we need to know as as difficult as it is to hear, we need to know that our sin, folks, has consequences. I think you know that. Paul would write about in the New Testament, he would simply say the wages of sin is death. Not just physical death spiritual death. And we've experienced that. Potentially we'll experience it again. But we need to to recognize and come to grips again with the fact today that our our choices, our, our obedience versus our disobedience are not matters to be made or dealt with flippantly or casually. I will turn my back. Now, Here is the great hope. That though he turns his back in those moments that God said he would do that, this table right here proves to us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. These these elements, this bread and this juice that we get to eat and drink today are vivid reminders of the fact that God will not turn His back forever or His face from us forever. And that in the midst of our sinfulness, in the midst of our it's no use, in the midst of our losing seasons, God has chosen to intervene in our world through the presence of His Son, Jesus Christ. And has chosen to give Himself on the cross in such a way that we might be forgiven of our sin. But not only that, that He raised Him from the dead, that we might also have the power of God to live a new life. And so as you receive the elements today, I want you to, I want you to really come to grips with the sinfulness in your life. I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to ask you to confess it to me as you come forward or as you take the plate by any means. Just deal with God on that. But come to grips with the disobedience in your life if there is some today. Ask God, search, search me, oh God. Know my heart. Test me. See if there's some offensive way in me. I, I want to know it. And if there is, I want to deal with it. I don't want it just to, to kind of fester in my life because that's what it will do. Come to grips with it and then come to grips with the fact that God has made a way for you to experience a freshness in Jesus that only he can provide and the power to live in a new way. I'm going to invite our worship team to come. They're going to sing for us a a song as as we pass, and I'm going to ask my servers to come and meet me here at the table. And we're going to distribute the elements to you where you sit, and as you receive them, you can take the bread, and you can take the juice, and you can hold it. You can go ahead and eat it or drink it if you need to, if you'd like to in that moment, or you can hold it and we'll eat it and drink it together as they come to the close of the song, after everyone's been served. But as you hold it, as you sing the song, as you listen to the words, think about what God is wanting to do where we have been clay that has been resistant to His purposes and of His new offer to change our hearts through the blood of His Son Jesus. God, thank You so much that You bring us to a place of... of, of awareness here this morning. You come bring us to a place. Maybe it's not a, by any means an enjoyable place. It's not a fun place. We know that for sure. It's not a uplifting place necessarily to, to, to have the, the searchlight of, of heaven shining within us and 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 helping us to come to grips with the disobedience and the sinfulness in our own hearts and lives. But God, we need to deal with it. We don't want to just kind of let it fester, let it remain there. We don't want to just kind of let it hinder us and hamper us. We want to move forward from it. We know that it only brings death. It will bring tragic consequences. It'll, it, that, that resistance within us will, can potentially grow in such a way that we won't even know what we're doing. We won't even be able to choose for you because of the hardness of our hearts. And so, God, just soften our hearts right now. Help us to come to grips with that, but at the same time, come to grips with the amazing love, the amazing offer of your grace through your son Jesus and through his broken body and his shed blood. So as we worship and as we receive of these elements, these gifts of your grace, may you change our hearts in these moments We pray this in Jesus' name.